I'm going to put out a disclaimer. Uh, Jason, Tony came into my office uh, this week and, and said that there was a song missing. And uh, I said, oh, interesting. She said, is, is it because you're going to preach a little bit longer? I said, I don't know, but that's a great idea. So I went ahead and prepared as if there was no extra song, but there was an extra song. So it is my fault. Okay. Well, I am excited uh, to be here uh, this morning. I'm excited to share from Colossians. Colossians is one of my favorite books in the Bible. And uh, we're going to just continue this series. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 2. Uh, we'll be looking at verses 1 uh, through 7. Uh, we're going to break it into a couple different parts I'll get to here in just a minute. Uh, this past week, I started a new study with our students on Wednesday nights. It's called The Secret Battle of Ideas About God. Now, I chose this study for our students because I wanted to challenge them to think critically about the world that they live in, the culture that they exist in, and help them to start developing a biblical worldview. Now, this study is found on Right Now Media, so if you have the account that the church gives out, you can go study it uh, at your own leisure. Um, But I wanted to challenge them to think critically about the world that we live in. Now, this study... It talks about these different ideas or the different worldviews that are affecting the world that we live in, our country, our city, our schools, our places of work, and even our churches. And it said that uh, a recent Barna study said that less than one in five professing Christians have a biblical worldview. I don't know about you. But that bothers me. That there are people out there that are professing to be followers of Christ that do not view the world, do not view their lives through the lens of God's Word. It says that they pull from five uh, more widespread worldviews secularism, uh, Marxism, postmodernism, uh, new spirituality, and Islam. And it says that. Ideas from these different worldviews are starting to make their way into churches. And probably part of it is whether or not these professing believers don't believe all of God's word or they pick and choose from this worldview and that worldview and they don't really make sure that it aligns with scripture. It's starting to make its way into churches. And you'll see that the people in the church of Colossae that we're going to be talking about this morning, they were dealing with this Gnostic cult that were spreading ideas that were contrary to the gospel. They were attacking the very deity of Christ. They were, playing, they were claiming that there was some small group that could attain some secret knowledge, that only a few would find this higher truth and be saved. They were denying that Jesus had anything to do with being saved. And these were causing some of the people within the church to question the gospel message. Some may have even left the church, but there were those that were struggling within the church with whether or not what this Gnostic group was saying was true or the message of the gospel. And it was affecting not only their church, but also other churches in the surrounding communities. 
And so just as this church in Colossae, we too must be cautious about the ideas that are affecting our culture and even the church today. Now, because of the world that we live in, these ideas do not just come from one source. They come from many. We are so connected to information through uh, cell phones and, and computers and iPads and all that kind of stuff that we're constantly connected to all kinds of different information out there, all different ideas. Now, maybe it's because I work with teenagers, but I'm concerned about younger generations who've grown up in this world that that's all they know. And so they're connected, they're influenced by all these different people that talk, whether it's on YouTube or they see different ideas on social media. How do they evaluate whether or not it's from God or not? And so we as a church must be a place that allows those discussions to take place. For someone that can come in and bring an idea from what they've heard, maybe on social media, on YouTube, or some news outlet, to have those discussions. And the church ought to be one that's guiding them to understand where these ideas come from. And looking at it through Scripture, helping them evaluate, is this of God? Or not. And as believers, we must examine ourselves to make sure that Satan does not get some sort of foothold through some idea in our own life, in the life of the church, so that he doesn't distract us from the mission of carrying out the gospel, causing us to lose sight of Jesus. Because so I can tell you, Satan, Satan's battling for our hearts and our minds. And he wants to captivate us by these things. They talk about in this study that we are doing, they call them idea viruses. And they spread because people are susceptible to them. They're susceptible because they want to hear what's going to make them feel good. And not necessarily what aligns with God. Not to mention because we're a church that is in revitalization, we can easily lose sight of our purpose if we don't keep our eyes focused on Jesus. So turn in your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1. I'm going to break uh, the second part. I'm going to new, verse 1. I'm going to tie it in with uh, verse 29 of chapter 1 because you can just see that Paul is continuing this thought, this flow, as he's written this letter to this church. And the second part, uh, 2 through 5, We're going to call that the vision for the church. And verses 6 and 7 is going to be the challenge for the church. So start in verse verse 29 of chapter 1. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. And for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk 
in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So we can see how Paul has written this letter, and he's just continuing his thought from chapter 1 as he's flowing into what our Bibles have as chapter 2. And he speaks of this toil, this struggle that he has for the people within this church that he's writing to. Now these two verses are heart-wrenching for a pastor and really ought to be heart-wrenching for anyone who is leading others in Jesus. It's the first thing that he points out. He's got this struggle, this internal struggle for these people. His heart is pouring out for them. But if you notice in verse 29, he says, I toil and struggle with all his energy and that he powerfully works within me. I know too often in my life, I've relied on Josh's energy, Josh's power, Josh's words to say. Paul clearly demonstrates that it's God's energy. It's the spirit that is working in him and through him to carry out the work. And we must depend upon him. The second thing we see that he is expressing a genuine concern and care for these people, many of whom he's never even met. His heart is truly broken for these people and the struggle that they're going through. So what a great reminder for anyone whether you're a pastor, a teacher, if you were leading others in Christ, a great reminder that Paul gives us there. So now as we jump into verse 2, we're going to see this is Paul's vision for this church. Starting in verse 2, he says that their hearts may be encouraged. So this church was going through a difficult time. There were people that were struggling with doubt, Some may have been leaving, and they needed encouragement. Satan loves to steal the joy of the believer. If he can steal the joy of the believer, the joy of the church, then they become far less effective for carrying out the message of the gospel. So we must remember. We must remember that we need to be an encouragement to one another. Because there's something powerful about words of encouragement to one another that extends beyond these walls. I know personally, because over the years of being here, many of you have spoken many of words of encouragement into my life. And oftentimes, those words of encouragement come in the exact time that I need to hear them. And so we are a church, just as Paul desires for this church in Colossae, we are to be that same church that is encouraging one another. Then he goes in, it leading into, continuing in verse 2, so that they're being knit together in love. Man, what great imagery of what the local church should look like. Now, I have never knit a single thing in my life. And I probably will never knit anything in my life. But when I think about knitting, I think about many pieces coming together and forming one bond, a bond that is so strong that it's not easily broken. 
And so that's what he is encouraging this church. That they be knit together in love. In future sermons in this series, we're going to see in chapter 3, he reiterates it. In 3 verse 14, he says, And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. We are to be a church that's knit together in love. Because as Paul speaks these words, he's really only echoing what Jesus Christ spoke about. When he was speaking with his disciples in John chapter 13, 34 through 35, it says a new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another by this. All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus wanted his disciples. He wanted the church to be defined by love. In Jesus' high priestly prayer, right before he's going to the cross in John chapter 17, verses 20 through 23, it says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that you also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me, that the glory that you've given me I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them as you loved me. This world, this world needs this kind of love. If you think about the the society that we live in, we are so divided. I mean, people say you've got to pick this side or that side. Now, I don't want to miss something here. It's not that we don't stand up for what is right. But there's become so much divisiveness in this world that it's produced hatred. Hatred from both sides. And God wants the church to be different. He wants the church to be defined by love. Which is why Paul is encouraging and challenging them. To be knit together in love. Unfortunately, the church can sometimes lose sight of being knit together in love when they're having internal disputes. And I'm not saying that the church is always going to agree on absolutely everything. But sometimes, sometimes we allow things to divide the church. And I can only imagine that God sits up there Shaking his head going. They're missing it. They're missing it. And as we are knit together in love. We become one. There ought to be no one saying. Well I'm going to leave because. I don't like this or I don't like that. That's not the church. That God desires. As mentioned. We're a church that's going through revitalization. I can tell you. That the only way that we're going to revitalize this church is if we're knit together in love. And it's not because we get all lovey-dovey. It's because of what Jesus Christ did for each and every one of us. We ought to be defined by our love for God and our love for one another. 
A people that allowed God to define them. Sell and remodel of this building is not going to revitalize this church. It may play a small part in the future of this church, but it's not going to be what turns it around. Because the building does not define us. But all too often, church buildings have a tendency to give identity. Yet, as a follower of Christ, our identity ought to be found in Christ and Christ alone. And if we're going to be a church that makes an impact in this world, we need and we must demonstrate something that is different. A demonstration of this love being coming, coming together, being knitted together in love so that the world can know that we're all about Jesus and Jesus alone. Now he says this so that, as he continues there in, uh, in verse 2, so that they would all to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So as we're being knit together in love, we're challenging one another to reach this full assurance of who we place our hope in. We help one another grow in faith. We're not built to live this life alone. We're not built to grow in our faith alone. We're built to be together as one body in Christ. Paul wrote in his letter to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly. Makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We're to challenge one another. We need one another. So we might as well do it God's way and rely upon those who He's placed in our life. And He wants this church to discover a full understanding and knowledge of this mystery that we know as Jesus Christ. Because it says that in whom, verse 3, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. His vision was that they would grow in their understanding of who Jesus Christ really is. Because Jesus is the key to all wisdom and knowledge. What a contrast to what the world teaches. The world teaches self-enlightenment. Some beliefs that you can become God. You can just live a good life. Jeremiah chapter 8 verse 9 says, The wise men shall be put to shame. They shall be dismayed and taken. 
Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. So what wisdom is in them? Now, as I was doing sermon prep, I was on YouTube and I came across a video called Why the Universe Exists. It was from a TED Talk a number of years ago. I can't remember the name of the guy that was giving the talk. But I said, well, that's kind of fascinating. So I sat there and listened about a 17, 18-minute talk. And I listened to this guy's arguments about why the universe exists. He dove deep into, you know, why do you and I exist? Very intelligent man. Very wise by worldly standards. He included God as one of his arguments of five or six total. But as he went through, you could tell that God was not something that he really believed in. So we arrived towards the end of his talk. And at the end of his talk, he says, well, I really have no conclusion. But I'll conclude with this because it shocked many of you here at this conference that are very intelligent and wise. He says, I have never had a cell phone in my life. Like, that is a conclusion? He presented arguments, but he had never arrived to any conclusion as to why the universe exists. He gave nothing substantial. And I sat there and I was, I was sad. Sad for him. What was sad is that he got a standing ovation. These are the type of ideas that are floating around in our world. That people are watching. That people are celebrating. And it disturbed me to see that the very intelligent, very, very wise, someone who, who used far bigger words than I could ever even imagine, didn't have a conclusion as to why he existed. How you go through life with that question of why do I exist and not have an answer? It's pretty sad. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, they, that they are futile. You see, if you know the Lord and you've placed your trust in his word, you are more wise than so many in the world who have actively rejected God. Because you've discovered Jesus. Jesus is the treasure. He is the one you seek. He is the one that gives you purpose. In him is found wisdom and knowledge and ultimately life. He's telling them when you find Jesus, you find treasure of wisdom and knowledge. So that in verse 4, I say this so that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. There is spur one another on into faith so that no one would be led astray, led astray or be deceived by these arguments that they were facing. How important is it 
that we as a church are challenging one another to grow in our knowledge and understanding of Jesus. 1 Peter 3.15 But your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. This is reaching that full assurance. Living in the hope that Peter talks about It's one of full assurance that Paul is talking about in Colossians chapter 2. We live in this world that deludes people into believing so many ideas that are false. Now I believe that it's good for Christians to listen to other ideas. I think the Lord wants us to know this world that we live in. I think he wants us to understand those that we that we have face to face conversations with so we can understand where they're coming from, where their belief is. So that we can draw them and walk alongside of them to help them see Jesus and how he is the one that is the one that they seek. One of the most discouraging ideas that seems rather harmless on the on the onset, is it's this whole idea of live your life. Do whatever makes you happy. So many people have adopted that. There are so many issues with that idea. Because we know that all of us were born into this world with a simple nature. And that simple nature is what drives us before we know Jesus Christ. And what makes you happy may be harmful to you may be harmful to others. So we have to know what is from God and what is not. It continues in verse 5, For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. He hopes to see that they're conducting themselves as one body, that each person within that body is carrying out their responsibility within the church. So I ask you this, are you doing your part in the church? God desired church to be so much more than just coming together and singing a few songs and listening to some guy talk. It's about us coming together and serving one another, serving Christ together. He wants to see that happening within the church. He also encourages them. He wants to see them, that they're standing firm in their faith in Christ. You see, they're being attacked by this cult with all of these ideas that are leading people astray, causing people to doubt. Even today, we face different attacks, but it's very important that we stand together as one body, standing firm in our faith, because that's why the church Part of the reason why the church exists for us to be a support to challenge one another so that we can stand firm. It's a desire of any pastor, and it ought to be the desire of all believers within the church. And we transition into verse 6, and we see now that he transitions almost into a challenge for the church. It says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in. In him. You see, it starts with salvation. It starts with that moment in your life in which you say, you know what? Something's not right in my life. Something is missing. Sin is in my life. 
I know that I'm not living the way that I should. Something is missing. Well, that thing that's missing is Jesus. And when you start there, you start with being saved, surrendering your life to Jesus Christ, acknowledging what he did on the cross for you, acknowledging that he is in fact God when he was raised from the dead, demonstrating his power over death. You place your trust in him. Paul says, just as you received Christ, so now walk in him. That means allowing God to establish your steps. Allow your life to be lived according to him. Let him be the one that moves you. Psalms 37, 23. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. How important it is that we delight in the Lord's way. That means that we set aside our own selfish nature. We acknowledge that what Jesus wants for our life is far better than anything that I could ever want. And we set that aside and we delight in his way. Continuing and learning to walk in dependence upon him. I'm going to tell you that's not easy. Because most of us like to have control over our lives. And to surrender control is a hard thing to do. I'm 40 years old and I'm still struggling to surrender everything. But that's what he's called us to do. To give up our way and place his way ahead of ours. Then he continues to say that they would be rooted and built up in him. We must plant the roots of who we are in Jesus, building our life upon Jesus Christ who gave us life. He is the source of wisdom and knowledge and love. In chapter 1, verse 17, Paul gave a great argument for why you should build your life in Jesus. It says, in him, all things hold together. There's no better place to be. Jesus shares in Matthew chapter 13, he shares this parable of those who receive the gospel. In this one section, he says, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears with word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. This is a person that has not dug the roots, the foundation of who they are into Jesus Christ. And so when things get a little hard in life, they fall away. See, people and things in this world are going to fail us. And I say that because this world's broken. This world is not the way that God intended it to be. But all too often we see People, they build the foundation of who they are on money, foundation of who they are on their job or their career. They build the foundation of who they are on gaining possessions. Maybe it's uh, people. Maybe it's uh, some relationship, family. There's some who build their foundation of who they are on sports. Some people get so wrapped up in their health, 
that that's all they're concerned about is making sure that they're healthy. People get so wrapped up in the way that they look that the foundation of who they are is built on their appearance. There are those that are trying to achieve some sort of status in life. We have a whole generation that are building the foundation of who they are on social media followers. Every single one of these has the potential to fail you because it's broken. Yes, your family can fail you if that's what you're building your life upon. If you build your life upon a person, they may fail you. Your job may not always be there. Money may not always be there. This is why Jesus is the only sure thing that never changes. And he is the one that we ought to build the foundation of who we are upon. After all, in chapter 1, verse 16 says, He is the one who you were created through and for. So build your life upon Jesus Christ. And as we grow in him, We should begin taking on the characteristics of Jesus Christ. If you truly are investing in your relationship with Jesus, then it's going to be really hard for you not to eventually and gradually grow to look more and more like him. If you aren't growing in Christ, if you're not looking more and more like Jesus, then maybe you aren't investing yourself into that relationship. And we can miss that. So we must continue to walk in the Lord. We must be rooted and built up in him so that we can be established in the faith. Continued in verse 7. The reason why is what he mentioned in verse 4. So you can withstand these plausible arguments. So that you are so established that you know how to decipher. You know how to evaluate whether this is from God or not. Grow with one another. And trust in the hope that Jesus did for you on the cross. And doing this is so vital to standing firm against the attacks that Satan has for your mind and for your heart. And he closes verse 7 with abounding in thanksgiving. It's almost like, don't forget. And I think he's saying, don't just remember, but abound in thanksgiving. Because when someone is eternally thankful and they have that heart of thanksgiving, people take notice. But how easy is it for us to forget to be thankful? I know sometimes when when life gets a little bit rough, things may not go the way. It's easy to forget to be thankful. See, we know the one who is the source of life, love, wisdom, and knowledge. We must rejoice in him. And if we are followers of Christ who are abounding in thanksgiving, then we're people that find our satisfaction in him. And we're not looking to other ideas or other things to fulfill us. Because we're satisfied in Christ. If you're rooted, built, and are establishing your life in Jesus Christ, you take on an attitude of thanksgiving. One who is eternally grateful for what Jesus did for you on the cross. So our challenge is to be a body of believers called the church. Each one of us, though, must do our part to become knitted together in love. 
And we become knitted as one. We're able to encourage one another to reach that full assurance and understanding of who we are in Christ. And doing your part means that you walk daily in him. Allowing God to direct your steps. Allow the very roots of who you are to be grounded in Jesus so that you can be built up in him. It means time spent with him in prayer. Time spent with him in his word. Dedicated time with other believers. They're going to help you and challenge you to grow in your faith and your understanding of who Christ is. And Paul laid out this vision and this challenge for this church in Colossae. I believe this vision is perfect for the church of today. And may we strive together to take on that challenge that God gave the church. To become a church that's so rooted and so built up in him that we become the church that is knitted together by his love so that the world will know that we are defined by the hope that we had in Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning. We thank you for the challenging words that we see in Scripture. We see how you worked through just your writings to this church in Colossae. I pray, Father God, that we as a church would take on that challenge. That we would be a church that desires nothing more than to see your name glorified, your name lifted up, and the lives of the people that you place in front of us. We know that this world desperately needs to know about the love that you have, a love that looks so different, so much more pure than what we see displayed in the world today. And I ask God that your spirit would move in the hearts of each and every one of us so that we do our part in growing in our relationship with you so that we can turn this church around, that we will become that church that desires nothing more than your name to be proclaimed in this community in which we exist, that we would be a church that extends beyond the city to the country and to even the world, proclaiming the name of Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen.